Welcome to After the Fact, a Knowing Faith mini-episode where we look to take a big question and address it in just a few minutes. Typically, the questions we consider will line up with our larger topic for this season. That's certainly true for our time today. We're discussing Genesis 1 through 11 on Knowing Faith this season, and today I get to chat with Dr. Ross Inman. Dr. Inman is an associate professor of philosophy at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you showed up on campus, you might find him teaching in the Master of Arts or even in the PhD programs for apologetics and philosophy. He is also the editor of Philosophia Christi, the academic journal of the Evangelical Philosophical Society. Dr. Inman, welcome to After the Fact, and thank you for joining us. Kyle, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. So here's the big question. What is natural moral law, and what does it have to do with Genesis? Excellent question. Well, as I see it, um, a biblical conception of natural moral law uh, entails at least the following two commitments. So the first commitment would be something like this, that God has built into the natural created order a moral dimension. So just as you might think a, a piece of wood has a sort of natural grain to it, that uh, so too the moral realm has a natural grain to it that's grounded in God's creational intentional purposes. So that would be the first tenet, which I'll unpack here in a second. And then the second thing would be that God has so created human beings with unique capacity to both know and live in accordance with this moral grain for the sake of living well. And I think one passage that's absolutely uh, insightful and biblically rich, which I wish we had more time to unpack, is Proverbs 8, 22 through 36. And you might be asking, what does Proverbs 8, 22 through 36 have to do with Genesis 1 and 2? Well, I hope to show you. So uh, if you permit me, let me just read very quickly uh, 22 through 36 in Proverbs chapter 8. So this is what 22 says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man." And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself." So uh, Proverbs 8 is, is a wonderful passage that uh, uses a literary device here with respect to the personification of wisdom. So the idea here, Kyle, is that we have uh, God has this intimate companion here uh, from the first act of creation onwards, and, and it's denoting the fact that all of God's creative acts, from the creation of the starry expanse to the separation of male and female, they're founded on and patterned after God's wisdom. 
So God in, in Proverbs 8 here is, de- is depicted as an expert craftsman, a master workman. It's a beautiful picture, really. Uh, so he start, sort of starts with this meticulous plan and he sort of skillfully fashions out of an unstructured pile of material something with strength and integrity. It's actually really interesting here. In Proverbs 8, we have uh, in a mere eight verses, a span of eight verses from 22 to 30, there are 11 verbs here that denote God's conferral of order, structure, and pattern on creation. And this is what I was referencing here, a natural grain to the cosmic order. So, for example, God set up, he brought forth, he shaped, he made, he established, he drew a circle, very interesting sort of craftsmanship uh, uh, pictures here. He made firm, he assigned a limit, and he marked out the boundaries of his creation with skillful precision and care. So you have, uh, you have these uh, images that portray God as the master workmanship. And, and you just can't read Proverbs 8, Kyle, without, without your mind going back to Genesis 1 through 2. So what's, what's beautiful about Proverbs 8, it just naturally points us back to the original creation account, where I think God's skillful craftsmanship in creation is on full display. So in particular, we see in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 1, God both separating things apart and he's binding them together. Again, his craftsmanship on full display here. So for example, uh, in Genesis 1, God's separating light from darkness. He's separating the waters uh, above from the waters below the expanse. He's separating day from night. He's separating sea from land-dwelling creatures. He's separating humans from the rest of the creation. He's separating male from female. And he's separating the seventh day of rest from the rest of the six days of his creative work. So uh, you, you see him not only separating apart, but you actually see him, interestingly enough, uniting things together as well. And I think there are three important ways here, Kyle, in which, in which we see God, uh, his master craftsmanship on display in, in binding things together and giving them natural integrity and strength. So first of all, uh, we have Genesis 1.27, where God unites himself to human beings by making them in his divine image. Uh, we're made to reflect the radiance in the good purposes of God. So there's something about the way that we are constructed, Kyle, um, that that makes it the case that God is our final and ultimate end. He is our greatest good. Uh, we were made in the image and likeness of this being who is uh, relational through and through, and that nothing else can satisfy uh, but union uh, with God. So that's the first way I see um, God's uniting things together, namely he's united himself to human beings by making them in his image. I think the second way is that God unites humans to the rest of creation here in the creation mandate in Genesis 1:28, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, right? So we, we have been given the responsibility and task to cultivate and to be wise stewards of the created order. This is part of the natural grain and the normative moral order that God has laid down for us. And then lastly, uh, which is uh, which is very pertinent to our day and age today, that God unites men and women to one another in the covenant or bond of marriage, Genesis 2.24. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they'll become one flesh. So just like you might think uh, water has an objective nature like H2O, uh, so too does the nature of marriage. Marriage has an objective nature. We can no more change the nature of marriage given this sort of creational order and creational pattern, then we can change the nature of, of water. 
So there, so Genesis one through two screams this sort of natural grain uh, to reality. But not only that, Kyle, is, is Proverbs 8. Here's where Proverbs 8 is extremely um, helpful here in, in our interpreting Genesis 1 through 2. This natural grain to reality, sort of this meticulous um, creation order that God has laid down in his wisdom and his skill, uh, it's, it's morally good. And in fact, we see in Proverbs 8, God is, is taking delight in his creative order. So, you have in verses uh, 30 and 31 of Proverbs 8, we have, we have the, the text saying this, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. So there's a lot of rejoicing here. There's a lot of delighting here in what God, in fact, has laid down in his skillful uh, craftsmanship. So this, this natural order that God has laid down is good, it's beautiful, and it evokes delight in the heart of God. And this just reflects Genesis 1 through 2, six different times, right? We have in Genesis 1, and God saw that it was good, right? So you have, um, you have this idea of the way things ought to be grounded in God's creational pattern, his creational design, and what we find at the very end of Proverbs 8 is, is this. You have, you have the text saying this, Listen to me, blessed are those who keep my ways, who listen to me, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, that is the wisdom laid down by God in his creative order, injures himself, and all who hate me love death. So the truly flourishing and blessed life here, Kyle, is the life that's lived with the grain of reality and not against it. So that's how I'm understanding it, at least a biblical conception of natural moral law. Yeah. Gosh, that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, just real quickly, Dr. Inman. So you, you've, you've, you've talked about natural moral law, but natural moral law would not be all natural law that is, right? And we were emailing a little bit back and forth on this. So um, natural moral law might be distinct from some sort of broader category of natural law, like, a, like, like the law of non-contradiction. Would that be an example or the law of gravity, what, what would be something that would be a natural law that's not a natural moral law? Just so our listener can get a sense of, okay, I understand, okay, God created these things. I want to live with the grain. But are there, are there other things that maybe are, maybe, I don't know if it's fair to say not moral in nature, but are there things that are natural law that maybe aren't natural moral law? Yeah, you bet. There's all sorts of ways that God has uh, ordained that his creation um, will function and be ordered. Some of those are laws of nature. Uh, right, we've got certain uh, laws of motion, gravitational laws, gravitational constants, these sorts of things. But the law I'm talking about here has specifically to do with how God intends for us to structure and order our lives for His glory and for our good. That's great, Dr. Emmon. Thank you so much for joining us here on After the Fact. You bet. My pleasure. <laughs> 